Welcome, friends. I'm glad you're joining us again this morning. Uh, the text we're going to look at today is Psalm 63. For a few more weeks, we're continuing on um, going through the book of Psalms like we have all summer long. And this particular psalm uh, today in Psalm 63 is actually connected to last week's psalm. Uh, most commentators and scholars think that um, Psalms 62 and 63 were probably written very close together, maybe at the same time, divided into different psalms. Um, but it was definitely in the same um, season of David's life when um, this one was written. And so it would be very helpful if you went back in and at least read Psalm 62. But if you didn't, that's okay. Um, just uh, open your Bibles or uh, find an app on your phone and join me in Psalm 63. After last week's psalm and after really um, reading that and thinking about the, the driving point of that psalm, which was really coming before the Lord and trusting that he would meet you and you would be silenced, you would be still, you would be at peace. Then he talks a lot about the soul and he, he uses the phrase in verse 1 in Psalm 62 about our, our souls being silenced or quiet. So when he's talking about silence in Psalm 62, he is talking about this internal peace or rest that we all long for. And our main exhortation from last week was spend time with God. Go to him. Especially in this season we find ourselves in when things just seem so unstable. And there's a lot that could give us anxiety and fear and lack of peace. Um, so hopefully after last week's psalm, you're, you're becoming more convinced, or you're convinced, that you need to spend time with God, right? Like, like the, the answer or the solution to the problem of, um, at least the main solution, there are other solutions, but at least the main solution to the problem of anxiety or fear is, a, is, is walking close with Jesus, okay? So if you're convinced of that, the next question, the next, the next natural question is, well, how? How do I do this? What does this look like? What does this look like, especially when I'm fearful and I can't think straight or I'm distracted? How, how can I um, structure maybe even my day to be able to spend more time with him? And we're going to touch on that, especially at the end of our time today. So let's jump in Psalm 63. And again, this is David. He is, he is fleeing from his son Absalom. We went into more background last week, but fleeing from his son Absalom, who is um, come into Jerusalem. He has overthrown King David, and King David has fled the city out into the wilderness with a few of his men, but Absalom is pursuing him with a small army. He's coming after David, and that's when he wrote last week's psalm and this week's psalm. Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Or other translations there would say, um, earlier translations for sure would say, Oh God, you are my God, early um, I seek you. So there's one's kind of a, 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 um, a word that, that uh, really communicates the, the passion, the degree which God, which David seeks God, and the other is the actual time of day that David seeks God. I think both of those can be right, but especially that early Translation, I want us to remember that, and we'll come back to that. 
O God, you are my God. Earnestly or early I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And so he, he is saying, um, again, he goes back to this idea of soul again. He's going deep inside of himself to the very core of who he is. And he's saying, hey, you're my God and my soul thirsts for you. I seek you. My flesh faints for you. These are strong, poetic, worshipful words that David is using here. And he's saying it's, it's like if I was in a dry and weary land where there is no water and the, the dry mouth and just the, 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 just the, the desire and the longing for, for water and for thirst. That is how David's soul is relating to God in this moment. And this is really deep stuff here. Um, and it's interesting here that he brings up desert uh, because I think this, this wilderness idea that David finds himself in, I think is really key. We see throughout the scriptures, whether it's Moses or Elijah, John the Baptist, you have Jesus, you have Paul, all of these people had their wilderness season. They either went out into the wilderness or they were forced into the wilderness, but God met them in the wilderness. Um, and so one question that I would put before you is, um, are you in a wilderness now? Maybe God has led you into the wilderness to, 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 to remove all the distractions and to really be able to get your attention. Or maybe you need to find a wilderness or a desert that you can go put yourself in. And, and that kind of can, can seem overblown, but it could just mean finding uh, your, your chair in your house where you feel like you just connect with God. Maybe it's a chair you don't do anything else in. You go sit in that chair and you listen. Or maybe there's a spot, a place in your house. Or maybe it's a location, a park or something where when you go there, it's, it's a symbolism of you're removing yourself of, from people and from physical activities. And this is your time with God. So I think this wilderness desert idea is, is important in the scriptures. And you'll notice these words here. They're, they're words that are filled with worship. Mentioned um, earnestly, I, I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh, flesh faints for you. These are worshipful words. And, and even, I think this is a good lesson for us right now, that we, when we consider worship, typically we, the first environment of worship we think about is Sunday morning. And, and for a while that has been removed from us. Um, off and on this summer that has. And so... Um, but what, what you can see here is David worships, can worship anywhere, right? And, and we know that from the scriptures. We can worship God anywhere. Sunday mornings are very, very important. Um, arguably the most important place that we can worship. However, worship um, is not tied to a location necessarily. It's not tied to um, having other people around, although that's helpful. We can worship anytime and in any place. And David's a great example of that in this psalm. Let's look at verse 2. So, okay, so based off the things we just read, David says, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. So, again, he's just saying, I, I remember what it was like in this sanctuary, probably. There's an aspect of that because look there is in past tense. But he's also in the moment here, he's beholding his power and glory. He's remembering that, but it's also causing him to worship in the moment. He's imagining the sanctuary that he worshiped in. Verse three, because your steadfast love 
is better than life. My lips will praise you. Okay. I want to stop here and talk about that phrase, steadfast love. Um, that's a word that's used often in scriptures, and it's a way to just communicate the force and the power of God's love. This love that we know as followers of Jesus finds itself, it really, really uh, finds its apex, finds its crucial point in the gospel. The good news that through Jesus Christ, the personal work of Jesus, we can be reconciled to God. And we get the Holy Spirit and, and we're reconciled to God even here on earth. We are made right with him. But then one day we will experience that in a fuller state in heaven. This is the good news. His steadfast love, when you, when you read that, we should think about the gospel. We should think about the grace and the mercy that God has shown us. And an interesting parallel passage here, and I think it's, it's important to kind of um, show us this steadfast love is actually in the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet, the first 29 chapters of Jeremiah, he is just laying it on God's people, the Israelites, of how wicked they've been, how rebellious they've been, uh, how much they've strayed from God's will and God's purpose and God's law. And he's telling them that God's judgment is going to come for them. And he's very serious about that. He's trying to get their attention. He says things like in chapter 5 about this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. Chapter 6, he says, as a well keeps its water fresh, fresh, so she keeps fresh her evil. That's what he speaks to God's people. It's God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah to God's people. But then in verse 30, there's this change. He says this, specifically just in verse 20, we're going to read, is Ephraim, which is another word for God's people, Israel. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? That language. For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. This is a remembering that's not just, oh, I remember who they are, but I, I, it's a covenantal remembrance. I remember the covenant I've made with them. I remember them. I'm not going to forsake them. And then listen to this part of this verse. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. This is God yearning for God's, for his people. I will surely have mercy on them. Oftentimes we have a tough time thinking about God yearning after us. But when we hear this idea of steadfast love in Psalm, the Psalm 63 today, we should think about a part of that is God yearning after his people, longing for his people. I want to read uh, just a quick passage from a book called uh, Gentle and Lowly by a guy by the name of Dane Ortland. Listen to this, talking about this particular verse. The yearning heart of God delivers and re-delivers sinners who find themselves drowning in the sewage of their life. 29 chapters deep in need of a rescue, they cannot even begin on their own, let alone complete. Whom do you perceive him to be in your sin and your suffering? He's talking to us Christians here. Who do you think God is? Not just on paper, but in the kind of person you believe is hearing you when you pray. How does he feel about you? His saving of us is not cool and calculated. It is a matter of yearning. Not yearning for the Facebook you, the you that you project to everyone around you. Not the you that you wish you were, yearning for the real you. The you... The you underneath everything you present to others. 
And we have such a hard time believing, I think, this aspect of God's nature, his, this aspect of God's love, because it's scandalous. How in the world could God say these things about us? How could the God of the universe truly care about us and use this kind of language that we usually kind of reserve for uh, people we, we love deeply here on earth? But think about what we are doing when we don't believe this. When we hear something like, my heart yearns for him, here in Jeremiah uh, 31, if we dismiss that, or that makes us feel uncomfortable to the point that we kind of want to move away from that phrase, then what, what we're saying here is really, no, God, your heart doesn't really yearn for us. No, God, that, that, uh, that can't be you. That's not the God that I know. And think about that for a second. Think about us telling no. Like, you can't be that way, God. No, because of your son. No, like, I know what your son did. Dying for us. Rose again. But now there's no way you could love me in that way. Think about this. Think about when we, when we, think, when we, when we ponder his love for us. If, we wanna, if we're quick to reject that... Um, we basically are saying that now your mercy is not sufficient. Your grace is not sufficient to love the kind of person that I am. Let's keep going. Verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. So this is based off everything he just said. This is just continuing on down the psalm. You see this, this imagery of a banquet here. You have at a banquet that it was known, and this is kind of the language that was used, especially in the Old Testament. Um, when you have fat and rich food, that's banquet food, right? So the way that we would be satisfied at our favorite restaurant, like an, an all-you-can-eat of whatever it is for you that you want to eat and the, the satisfaction you feel, probably not when you're, you're so full that you're about to lose your food, but... Just right there at the beginning when you're starting to taste the food, you're like, this is so good. That is what David's trying to describe here internally at the soul level. And then he says, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. In verse 6, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Keep that. We'll come back to that, 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 uh, that phrase of meditating you on the watches of the night. For you, I have been, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Then he, once again, he's just talking about when he dwells on the person and, and character and nature of God, it causes him to, to sing to him, to worship him, his soul to cling to him. And remember, David is in the middle of one of the worst seasons of his life. He's probably scared. He's fearful. He could die at any moment. Absalom wants to kill him. He wants to be king. And the only way he can do that is make sure David is gone. But yet David is still writing and feeling these things that we read today. Let's finish it off. Verse 9. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. Now here, here, this is just confidence in God's justice, right? Just knowing that God is going to come through and God will protect him in some shape or form. Verse 11, but the king shall rejoice in God. 
All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. So let's talk about this. And I want to, this is where I really want to take last week's and what we've talked about today and really talk about what does this look like? What does this look like in our day-to-day lives? So here, here at home while you're watching this, I just want to ask you some questions. Um, do you wish you were more consistent in spending time with God? I think 90% of you watching this will probably say, yeah, I wish I was more consistent in that. Another question, do you desire a deeper relationship with him? Do you seem to get distracted? Does your mind wander when you sit down to read the Bible? Do you feel lazy at times? Or you just, you just don't care as much as you should when it comes to having quiet times or spending time with Jesus. Is that, does any of that describe you? And hopefully one of those questions kind of resonates with you and you, you would raise your hand maybe at home and say, yes, that's me. And I think we're all in this kind of journey or, or, or we, we want to continue to learn to, to how to spend time with God and how that fits into our, into our lives in this world we live in. And so I want to introduce something as a, the practical tool to kind of end our time, something called the daily office, the daily office. And um, this was just something, and, and actually this is kind of, uh, it's a, it's a, it was created by monks um, thousands of years ago. And um, what this really is, is um, it's, it's just a, um, well, uh, let me, let me, um, it's really creating a rhythm of stopping to be with God. This is Pete Scazzaro from one of his books. This is how he describes it. Daily offices are about creating a rhythm of stopping to be with God at set times each day in order to cultivate our personal relationship with him throughout the day. That, or so that, we might prefer the love of Christ above everything else. The monks created this initially to be able to remove themselves from society and to be able to try to think about God and have their mind set on God every hour of the day. That was kind of the, the goal of the monk, right? And the majority of us, if not all of us, are not monks. And so we could quickly hear that and dismiss it as, well, that's not realistic. And I understand that. But we can bring over some of the principles of the daily office and apply them to our world that is fraught with busyness and, 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 and just a lack of rest and a constant um, distraction. It feels like we're always on. Right? Either our minds, we're always watching something or listening to something. And so the daily office is really helpful. Now, David, in, in a, a, a practicing um, a Jewish person, would have spent about, there were about seven times during a day where they would have stopped and just turned their attention to God. Seven times. Psalm 119, uh, 164 says this, Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. The psalmist says in Psalm 119. And we see in verses 1 um, in, in, in the psalm we're looking at today, he says, um, he says um, oh yeah, it says, verse 1, Oh God, you are my God, earnestly. Or remember we said it could be early. Early I seek you. So here, um, early meaning morning, right? So first thing in the morning, he wakes up and he seeks God. But then in verse 6, he says, When I remember you, remember you upon my bed, or obviously nighttime, um, and meditate on you in the watches of the night. And as you were guarding something, a fortress, or you were on duty in that way, 
there were different watches during the night. But David is just saying, I, I, I thought about you at night. I meditated on you in the middle of the night during the watches. I think the difference between having a daily office where you have these set times throughout a day where you're coming to God rather than just a quiet time is often quiet times are set up where it's almost like we, we treat it as like a gas station, like we pull through and want to get filled up for the day. And there's some truth to that. That's not all bad. But what if we changed or kind of flipped that and said, we just want to focus on God. We just want to think about him. We just want to be with him. We just want to acknowledge that our spirit lives inside of us, wants to help us communicate with God. God the Spirit communicating with God the Father through God the Son, right? And we want that to be as, as much of a part of our day as we can make it, right? With all the other stuff we have going on, we want to be able to think about and focus on God as much as possible. Um, so I think it can be more helpful than a quiet time because of that think that sometimes um, incomplete view of our quiet time where we just kind of drive through, fill ourselves up and move on and really not even think about God until the next day. What if we could set up our days where we're actually having these little pings throughout our day? Maybe it's only for a minute or five minutes, but we're, we're setting those things up consistently throughout the day where we remember God. So here are the components, right? Here are the components of, um, of, a, um, of a daily office. And I'm borrowing a lot of this from Pete Scazzaro. I've, I've kind of simplified it a little bit. There's four things that I would say. I would encourage you to write these down and try to implement it. That's going to be the homework, right? Number one, set times. Set times throughout the day. Look at your day and find a time to do this. When I do this, typically I do three or four. I'll do morning, which is usually a little bit of a longer one. It doesn't have to be really long, but early mornings when I try to do the, the, the longer of the ones. And then at lunchtime, even if it's just five minutes, Sometime it, it, I set my alarm or I'll have a window of time while I know it'll be there that day. Um, early on, you may have to set an alarm. But just quickly, maybe it's lunch, and I'll get into what that looks like here in a second. So morning, lunch, maybe like right when I get home or right before I leave for the day because that tends to be a transition time from work into family. And I want to be, a, a kind of a, I be fully present at home, and I know I need Jesus for that. And then at nighttime, like right before bed, kind of thinking about God before I drift off to sleep. Um, so set times, number one. Number two, starting it with silence. More than likely, if you do this, you're going to be coming out of your day, whether it's a crying baby, whether it's a trip to the grocery store, whether it's a phone call, whether it's um, returning emails. If you pop out of that environment into a, a part of your daily office, you'll want to spend at least a minute of just silence. Nothing, just silence and, 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 and starting to think about God. And then after silence, you move into scripture, right? And this is what looks kind of like a more like a daily quiet time, right? But it, it needs to be, um, it, volume is not as important here, right? Even if it's one verse or half of a verse, you're just taking scripture and going slow over it and meditating on it, right? You're not trying to cover a lot of ground and reading here. That would probably be good, better for your morning time if you were going to do that. But like at lunch, I'll find maybe a verse from my morning time or a verse I'm trying to memorize and just open my Bible and read it five times. One verse and then, so you have silence and then scripture. Again, this can be one minute or it can be an hour depending on how long you want it. That's the great thing about a daily office. Um, so set times, silence, scripture. And the last one um, is a takeaway. And Peace Cazero has a lot more about this, but really what he says is you need to come away with a question that you think God is asking you 
a question to ponder because what you want to do is you want this to to kind of be able to to um, if you're having this at lunch you want this to be rolling around in your mind um, until you get maybe to dinner or to bedtime right and so leave write down a question that maybe God's asking it'll it'll help you practice listening to God too write down a question or maybe something that's very clear an application point that you know the scripture that you've just been thinking about and thinking deeply on is calling you to maybe it's a reminder hey um, I'm reminding when I when I think about this person that maybe would bring me anxiety I need to remember this verse or whatever it is just write down that reminder and that will help it help that that um, kind of reverberate as the day goes on now one of the things that I even feel in my own heart and soul when you start to schedule things out like this is this this kind of um, accusation of legalism right well that sounds legalistic right now Let's, just for a second, I want to talk about legalism, right? Legalism is um, doing something in a set way because it's going to save you. And so in the Christian life, nothing it, it's not legalistic unless you're looking to that thing to save you. Then it becomes legalistic, right? Um, but having a schedule to spend time with God is not legalistic. Now, the posture can become legalistic, but if you're struggling spending time with God, I promise you, it's not going to turn into legalism right at the beginning. It's not. Um, you can compare this to a marriage, right? If, if I was not wanting to spend time with Nicole, um, or I was having trouble spending time with Nicole, and somebody gave me advice, and I was like, well, why don't you kind of set up some times for y'all to talk, or for y'all to sit down and pray together, or maybe go out to eat, or whatever, just to look at each other, give each other a hug. Like, try to do that throughout the day, It'd be crazy if I said, whoa, whoa, that sounds really legalistic. Like that, I, I probably shouldn't plan those things. I probably shouldn't set up a, a list like that because um, I, I, I don't want to er try to earn Nicole's love for me. No, we wouldn't say that, right? That's just good wisdom when you love somebody and you want to cultivate that relationship. You want to set aside time and you want to have some organization and be thinking about how you can grow deeper into that relationship. That is all the daily office is. It doesn't need to be legalistic. It's not about doing it right. There's a lot of flexibility here in what I just laid out, right? Set times, whatever works for you. Silence, just a little bit, right? Scripture, whatever you want it to be, just have some scripture there. It could be really small. And then writing down something that God impressed on your mind or your heart during that period of time. Boom, that's it. Try to do it three times a day to start with. Heck, even once a day would start with, but work up to doing it like morning, lunch, and night, or morning, dinner, and night. Whatever that those things are going to work best in your schedule. Let me close with this, okay? Another quote from Daniel Orland in this book, Gentle and Lowly. By the way, if you haven't read it, you need to pick it up. It's, it's amazing. as just a pure, like, just devotional uh, style book. It's not written in chapters necessarily like a devotional, but... It, 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 uh, it will put you in that posture. Okay, listen to this. The world is starving for a yearning love. A love that remembers instead of forsakes. Isn't that true right now? A love that isn't tied to our loveliness. A love that gets down underneath our messiness. A love that is bigger than the enveloping darkness we might be walking through even today. A love of which even the very best human romance is the faintest of whispers. Let me pray. 
Father, I once again thank you for your word. I thank you for this book in the scriptures called Psalms where we get to actually peek behind the scenes. We get to look behind the curtain of this, this man after God's own heart and see him wrestle with God in all these different ways that we, as we've looked at Psalms throughout the summer. And I pray that you would give us this thirst, this desire, like we talked a lot about last week. I pray that you would give us that. Then I pray that when you give us that, or when we're, when we're craving that, you would allow us to put some intentionality behind it, like a daily office, like some structure that would allow us to just set our minds on you and to recalibrate our hearts towards you throughout our days. Because I know my day is it just, I, I, I start and then it's really hard for me to stop if I don't have something planned waiting for me there. So help us, help me. There's people watching this that aren't followers of Jesus. I pray that they would consider the grace and the mercy and the steadfast love that you have. And that they will find that in nothing else in this world, period. Nothing. And I pray that if they're, if they're wanting that love, if they're wanting their sins to be removed and, and your wrath to be removed for them, and that they would, they, they would believe, that they would trust in your grace and your mercy. I pray that they would talk to somebody after this. Father, we love you. <clears throat> it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.